Today's scripture reading will be taken from some verses from Hosea chapter 4, 5, and 6. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor, and the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Carol, for reading God's Word for us. Appreciate it. It's good to have all of us gathered here today, this morning, as church. So if you're new to, G to GBC, a warm welcome, and I ask that please stay after the service. Do spend some time with us. We are in the midst of a six-part sermon series in the book of Hosea. Our theme for our church this year is Believe, Belong, and Behave. 
I'm sure you have the question, same question as I have. How then does Hosea help us understand this theme better? Hosea tells us what happens when God's people did not behave as if, if they belonged to Him. So this is what Hosea tells us. So let us pray before he gets into God's Word. Let us pray. Father God, more about Jesus would we know. More about Jesus. In His Word, holding communion with our Lord, hearing His voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. More about Jesus would we know. Lord God, make this so as we hear your word. In Christ's name, Amen. My friends, have you struggled with reading God's word and knowing God through his word? You know, you hear the stories from others about their sweet time with God in their word and you wonder why it's not the same for you. And I'm not just talking about Bible study here. I'm talking about reading, studying, and hearing from God in and through His Word. I'm talking about a relationship with God as you delight in communing with Him in and through the Word. Have you struggled with knowing God? Have you felt dry and arid? I have. It was about three years ago. I remember I was reading a book that helped forth the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of Jesus Christ. The book contained and explained many passages from Scripture. And I was weeping. Only it wasn't tears of joy. It was tears of sorrow and despair. I thought I was depressed. I could not delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read the words on a page and I felt dry. If the gospel of Jesus Christ was like a spring of living waters, what I felt was like water pouring on the parched soul of my soul. The sorrow and despair I felt it was because the water did not seem to seep into my soul but ran over the top and flowed away. I received water, but I felt dry, I felt withered. The soul of my soul was too arid. So have you also struggled with reading God's Word and knowing God through His Word? Yes. Then the question for us is how then can we know God? What helps or what hinders us from knowing God? And the prophet Hosea can help by shedding some light on this. A quick summary of what has gone before. The book of Hosea can be divided into two parts. The first part, Hosea chapters 1 to 3, tells us about Hosea's marriage and family life. Hosea's marriage is an enacted parable, a living picture that displays the relationship between God and Israel. The marriage covenant that Hosea and his wife Gomer made points to a picture of God's relationship with his people. 
You see, this is Hosea 3.1. Hosea was unfaithful. She committed adultery and broke their marriage vows. And this pointed to Israel as God's unfaithful wife. The second part, chapter 4 to 14, expands from chapter 1 to 3. It explains and gives details to chapter 1 to 3. It does this by giving a series of prophetic words of accusations, of warnings, of appeals and motivation. It called for God's people to abandon their adultery and to return to God. And today, here we are in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, to Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. This is our first look at Hosea's prophetic words that form the second part. And what do we see in this section? We see that our God is faithful to bring the curses of the covenant on a faithless people who reject the knowledge of God. We can observe the character of our God. God is our judge who will punish covenant transgressors, those who break His covenant, who refuse to know God. And because God is faithful to His character, He's committed to judging. Then we are to repent and return, seeking the knowledge of God. We'll cover all this in today's passage. And this passage today is long, but it can be covered, divided in two halves. The first half, we see the covenant shattered. The covenant shattered because Israel lacked the knowledge of God. Okay, we see this in 4.1 to 5.7. In the second half, we see the people healed. The people healed because the people's guilt had been born. 5.8 to 6.3. So let's look at the first half. And although this section does not mention the metaphor of marriage, the idea of the marriage covenant between God and Israel connects the different elements here. Verse 1 begins with what seems to be a court summon. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The covenant made between God and Israel is a relationship bound by love and promise that calls for responsibility to the promise. And Israel, Israel has broken this promise. Israel has broken the pledge. And God brings a threefold charge against them. Threefold charge against them. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There was no integrity. There was no compassion. There was no knowledge of God in the land. Faithfulness involves being true to your word Bring true to your responsibilities. Steadfast love or hazard love is the term for covenant commitment. It involves both affection, the heart, and commitment. And knowledge here, it involves more than just cognitive learning. It also implies implied intimacy and relationship. It also meant knowledge that is applied and lived out. Faithfulness, steadfast love, and knowledge are relational terms. They are marriage covenant terms. You know, picture with me, you can almost imagine a distressed wife or husband saying, she is not faithful to me, or he doesn't love me, or she doesn't know me or understand me. So God charged Israel with breaking their marriage covenant with God. In verse 2, 
gives the, gave the specific cases. Swearing or taking God's name in vain, lying, murder, and committing, stealing and committing adultery. He realized these are all violations of the Ten Commandments. Israel has broken the covenant and as a result brought famine and drought on the land. Do you remember our sermons in Deuteronomy? Pastor Yen preached from Deuteronomy 28 and following and from there that text listed the curses of the covenant if Israel were to violate their promises and responsibilities. There will be breakdown of family and society, there will be famine in the land and finally, Exile from the land for the people of God. The covenant is shattered. And God punished Israel with the curses of the covenant. And the reason? Because the people lack knowledge of God. You know, Hosea 4 and 6 contains many metaphors, many pictures, as Hosea used prophetic uh, poetry to give pieces of evidence for God's charges against Israel. But chief among these allegations is that the people lack knowledge of God. And we really saw this in the first half of chapter 4, verse 1. There is no knowledge of God in the land. We see again, chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. The word for knowledge here is the same as verse 1. Remember, it carries the idea of not just hate knowledge, not just connective knowledge, but applying of that knowledge as well. Chapter 4, verse 10 to 11 writes, Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom wine and new wine, which take away the understanding. The word understanding here can be understood as heart. Their heart inclinations for God have been taken away. Chapter 4, verse 14 tells us, a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Understanding here means comprehension and paying attention to God. Chapter 5, verse 4, for the spirit of Hodom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The word know here carries the idea of intimacy with God. The same word is used for Adam knowing Eve. It's an intimate knowledge of God. And finally, chapter 6, verse 3. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. And the word know here implies intimacy with God, a cognitive understanding of God, and the living out of or the application of the knowledge into our lives. The charge against the people is clear. They lack knowledge of God. And the covenant shattered because the people of Israel lack the knowledge of God. They did not know the laws and commandments of God, nor did they practice it. They lacked an intimate relationship with God. And they, not, they did not apply what they knew to their own lives and the life of the nation of Israel. And the rest of this section shows how this lack of knowledge of God is played out in the people of Israel. When Hosea brought God's charges against Israel. You can almost imagine the priest nodding ahead. Hmm, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell them again, Hosea. But God next bring, brought charges against the priests. 
You see, the priests in Hosea's time should have taught the people of Israel the knowledge of God and urged them on to know God. But they have rejected the knowledge of God. So God will reject them. Because both prophet and priest have failed to teach the knowledge of God, Israel will be judged and destroyed. Verse 5 and 6. In fact, it's almost an irony. The more priests there are, the more they sin against God. And God will change their glory into shame. Verse 7. What does this mean? In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, the glory of Israel is used to refer to God Himself. So Israel's glory is her knowledge of God. However, she rejected that knowledge. Israel will now face judgment and shame. And you think the charges against the priests were bad enough. But verse 8 charged them with feeding on the sin of the people. It charged them with feeding on the sin of the people. What a scandal. You see, the priest has a right to the portion of a sacrificed animal. So perhaps they were happy that the people were sinning. Why? Because it meant more business for them. This verse tells us how crucial it is to have the right leaders with the integrity of character who will faithfully teach and preach God's Word. So what does it mean for us? My friends, as a church, we are preparing to recognize new elders. And here we mean both elders and pastors, as both words refer to the same office in the Bible. As the church throughout Grace E News and Church Blog, we've been considering what the Bible says about the roles, the qualifications, and the giftings of an elder. We want to be faithful to what scriptures say and act according to it. We do not want to be dictated by our culture, our tradition, our human preferences. So as we prepare ourselves by examining scripture, we also need to be praying. We need to pray that our elders develop a deep personal knowledge of God and they might faithfully proclaim the knowledge of God to us. We cannot rest on our heritage. The traditions of GBC can be helpful, but do not place your trust in them. We need to live with a fresh experience of God in and through His Word. We need our knowledge of God in and through His Word. I know, you, know, you may think, you, this application is only for elders. It has nothing to do with the rest of us, right? But look at verse 9. It says, like people, like priests. The application involves all of us. God will punish both priests and people for their misdeeds against the covenant. Elders and church members can conspire in a lack of knowledge. Hear me out here. You know, people generally do not want to be challenged and the people's leaders do not want the unpopularity that challenging people bring. You know, sometimes proclaiming God's word faithfully in a way that challenges people can be downright unpopular. So what, what will happen is that we can be tempted to adjust God's word. So how can we then, as a church, contribute to a church culture that supports faithful teaching and preaching of God's word? 
It means this. It means praying for elders to be faithful to the Word and to communicate the Word well. It means supporting the preaching and teaching of our elders. How can you do so? By partnering to serve in other areas of the church so that they can devote time and energy to the Word. It means preparing your heart to receive the preaching and the teaching of the Word and be prepared to heed the Word. I can speak on behalf of our pastors and elders. You know, nothing brings us more encouragement than to see the Word of God take root in the lives of the members of GBC, to see lives transform. So you want to encourage encourage us? Come prepared to hear the Word and to heed the Word. What happens when we abandon the knowledge of God? We see the results in chapter 4, verse 10 to 5-7. The people of Israel abandoned knowledge of God to pursue idols. The people of Israel threw off restraint and committed immorality. Have you ever had a goldfish for a pet? Well, personally, I'm a cat person. Okay? I, I, and, and cats love to eat goldfish. But if you have goldfish, and I have friends who had goldfish, they tell me this that goldfishes don't seem to know when they are full. It means this. It means that they keep eating and eating and eating, even when food is available. They never get satisfied. And in the end, their intestines get blocked, they foul the water they are in, and they kill themselves off. Likewise, when the people of Israel abandon the knowledge of God, they can pursue their desires, but they will not be satisfied. They will foul the moral waters of Israel and bring eventual destruction on themselves. All because they have forsaken the Lord to pursue illicit sex and alcohol. And these pursuits took away their heart desires for God. And the result, and the result, is described in verses 14 to 19. The people commit immorality. Pastor Tim Chester writes that they commit immorality both literally, literally and metaphorically. Twice, Hosea says that the daughters of Israel play the whore and their brides, her brides commit adultery. Verse 13 and 14. This description may be a picture of Israel's idolatry. But then they are linked Next, to the description of the nation's men who go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. Verse 14. And this appears to be a literal description. The passage also contains the figurative descriptions of Israel's spiritual adultery. They have left their God to play the whore. Verse 12. Ephraim, which is the most prominent tribe in Israel and sometimes used to mean the northern kingdom of Israel, Ephraim is joined to idols. Verse 17, Israel is wedded to idols. Israel as a nation has left Yahweh God to pursue after other gods. You know, we may hear this and really really go, tis, tis, you know, we would never do this and self-righteously judge the nation and the people of Israel. But haven't we too many times failed to be faithful to God. And this is what Hosea does next. He warns a southern kingdom of Judah 
in verse 15. Hosea warns Judah, who may be observing and going likewise, tis, tis. He warns them not to fall into the same spiritual adultery like Israel. Hosea goes on to indict Israel. Israel is like a stubborn cow, imagine, called a cow, you know, who refuses to be fed, verse 16. And so God has judged Israel, leaving the nation to give themselves to whoring, for they dearly love shame. God has left them to be wrapped up in a wind of spiritual adultery, leading to the shame and destruction, verse 19. You see, my friends, that's the problem with sin and idolatry. When left unchecked, it leads to aspiring downwards into more sin and immorality. And we see this in the New Testament as Paul details this in the second half of Romans chapter 1. Because what happens is this, sin and idolatry makes us stupid and blind. Okay, I'm, I'm talking about the mirror here, not the baby, okay? So sin and adultery makes us stupid and blind. Because when we are in it, we often do not see it. And the antidote, the antidote is not within us. It's not we try to do better, it's not to discover a potential, it's not within us. We need something from outside us. We need the knowledge of God in His Word. We need the Word of God to be helped as a mirror to check our hearts and our behaviour. When we are in the depths of sin and idolatry, we also need others in the church community to hold the mirror up for us. You know how some people, when they take selfies with a smartphone, okay, don't look at other people. I know some of you do that as well. Some of us are really good at taking Wi-Fi. Right? What do they do? They will position the smartphone in the right angle so that it will show off their best side, right? You see people doing that, right? They will go all sorts of position just to get the right angle so it shows off their bad side. Uh, sorry, best side. <laughs> best side. And what happens is in our sin blind state, in our bad state, we may also hold the mirror of God's word and an angle to make us look good. We use God's word to justify ourselves. We need, therefore, to be courageous, to be open, to be honest to a few trusted members of the church. We need to trust them to hold the mirror of God's word for us, to us, so that all our warts and pimples can be revealed. We need to invite others to speak truth to us when we are often blind to it and be open to them speaking the knowledge of God into our lives. This is the formative discipline that we as a church can do for one another. We're almost there, almost at the end of this first section. I'll show you the, sec the second section, second half will be much shorter. Okay? The last half of this section in chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, tells us God's judgment and the verdict on Israel. And it opens with God's call to hear what is He is saying. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. These verses repeat the accusation of chapter 4. The priests and leaders, the priests and leaders have been a snare to the people, leading the people away 
from God. Their policy, their policies have led to slaughter. Chapter 5, uh, verse 2. And corruption, verse 3. God's people were serving idols like an adulterous wife. Verse 7. They cannot hide their sins from God. Verse 3. Their repentant actions, unrepentant actions, did not allow them to return to God. Verse 4. They refuse to know the Lord. And as a result, God Himself, the pride of Israel, has witnessed their sins and now testify against Israel. The court case, so to speak, reaches its climax and the sentence is passed. God will discipline His people. He will do so by withdrawing Himself from them. God disciplined them by giving them exactly what they want. He withdrew from them and abandoned them to the worship of idols. And after that, we read, Israel will, will kind of regret and seek God along with the flocks and their herds. In other words, they seek Him by offering sacrifices. By that point, it's to no use, it's to no avail. Because perhaps their worship was transactional. What they wanted was not God, not knowledge of God, but for God to do something for them. Mere going through religious motions will not change God's verdict. God has withdrawn His presence from Israel. But, but my friends, there is still hope. God is punishing His people so that they will return and pursue the knowledge of God. But even then, even then, the track record for God's people pursuing the knowledge of God thus far, so far in the history of Israel, is pretty bad, it's pretty dismal. Because we cannot, cannot simply accomplish this on our own. Jeremiah, a later prophet, looked forward to the day when God Himself will do something in the hearts of His people. He writes in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34, Behold, the days are coming, declare the Lord, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Hear this, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one, each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. Get this, for they shall all know me. We will all know God. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. Jeremiah was looking forward to the day when God will do something new. The day when knowledge comes as a person. This knowledge, Jesus Christ Himself tells us in John chapter 7, verse 14, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Jesus comes to make God known. We go on to, and we see in the second half of today's passage that God's people will be healed. God's people will be healed. But it's a healing that first requires a wounding. 
Remember chapter, Hosea chapter 4, verse 1? It opens with a court summons and a charge. But now 5.8, the start of this section, it opens with a battle cry. Blow, blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramea. Sound the alarm at Bethaven, because God has withdrawn Himself. Israel is now left defenceless. They need to sound the alarm, warning of a serious invasion. You know, they say a picture tells a thousand words. So it is with the prophetic picture that Hosea is painting. Because Israel has broken covenant with God, the curse of exile from the promised land will be visited upon them. Israel will become a desolation in the day of punishment. Verse 9. Israel will be oppressed, crushed in judgment, all because they were determined to pursue idols. Verse 11. What Hosea did, Hosea predicted the coming Assyrian invasion and the exile of Israel. Unless the southern kingdom of Judah found itself in complacency, Hosea also warned them, the princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark upon them. I, upon them, I will pour out my wrath like water. The accusation for the southern king of Judah is moving that of moving boundary stones. What does this mean? You remember the inheritance of land that God himself has designated for each of the tribe of Israel in, uh, in Joshua? This was being ignored. The implication was that Judah will try to take advantage of Israel's weakness by seizing its territory. And God will not spare them. God will also visit judgment on Judah for their sins. <laughs> you know, God withdrawing His protection is a terrible thing. Verses 8 to 11 warn that the Syrians are coming. But something much worse is going to happen. Verses 12 to 14 warned that God Himself was coming. God Himself, like a moth and dry rod, will consume Israel and Judah. Verse 12. And when Israel and Judah saw their sickness and wound, instead of repenting and returning to God, what did they do? They did what was uh, humanly smart. Okay? They went to make a political alliance with Assyria. They went to seek help from Assyria instead. They trusted in their political alliance, in, their, uh, in, in others rather than in God. But it's of no use, to no avail. God will be like a lion. God will tear Israel apart. And Israel will be brought into exile with no one to help rescue them. Verse 14. Heavy stuff, right? It's because God's righteous response involved not only the withdrawal of His presence, but His active judgment. And God used the coming Assyrian army to enact His judgment on the nation of Israel. But in the midst of such heavy judgment, in the midst of tragedy, there is hope. Verse 15 tells us, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress, earnestly seek me. Those of you with the NIV, it translates verse 15 as, Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt, borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. 
God is ready to return to His people. If somehow they have borne their guilt, if they heed God's warning and return to Him in repentance, God will return to them. In the middle of God's judgment, Hosea, which until now has been God's mouthpiece, acts instead as advocate for Israel and speaks up in chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. Come, let us return to the Lord. Turn to God the healer. You know, a Straits Times article on 23rd May 2016 tells of a man's gift of love to his girlfriend. He gave his girlfriend his own kidney. The man himself was wounded so that his beloved girlfriend can be cured, can be healed of her sickness. Isn't this a wonderful demonstration of love? How much more is the case for God? God's love for His people means that He too will be wounded on their behalf. That somehow God Himself will bear their guilt. But how can God be terror, healer and guilt bearer? The key is in verse 2 of chapter 5. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Does this remind you of anything? Does this remind you of anything? You know, these verses, when it first was uh, written, it first referred to the hope that God will revive the nation of Israel if they repented and returned to Him. But as Christians living on this side of the cross, this side of the revelation of the cross, we realize ultimately it points to Jesus Christ. How can God tear up at the same time heal those who turn for Him, turn to Him? The answer is at the cross of Jesus. There at the cross, God, God tore apart the one who stood in our place. Jesus was torn that in order that we might be healed. Jesus was struck down that we might be raised up. Jesus died the death we deserve so that we might live in God's presence. How did God bear our guilt? He borne our guilt in Jesus Christ. For 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 tells us, He Himself bore our sins in His body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Jesus not only brings pardon for our sins, Jesus also frees us from the sin that blinds us so that we can pursue and know God. And what was Hosea's application of God's promise in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 to 2? Verse 3 tells us, Let us know, Hosea tells and encourages the nation of Israel, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God will come to revive and restore us. The picture here is that of a dry land with no life and no vegetation. And when the rain comes, it bursts into life again. 
This is what will happen to God's people when God comes. And that is what happened to me. What about you? How can you share in the life that Hosea promises and Jesus achieved that and that Jesus achieves for us through his resurrection? Know God. Know God, my friend. How can we know God? Trust Jesus and press on to know God. My friends, what does it mean to press on to know the Lord? You desire to pursue God? Do not wait. You, do you need to put yourself in a place where you're exposed to God's Word? Do you need to put yourself in a place where you can meet with His people to read the Bible together? You know, we have our Sunday worship gathering here where God's Word is preached. Come each Sunday with your heart prepared to receive God's Word. We have our equipped classes where we look at what God, God's Word says about various topics. The next class is about singleness next Sunday, 24th June. We also have our CGs where we follow the sermon series. We look at God's Word with emphasis on how we can apply the knowledge in community together. So my friends, plead with God to know Him. And He will come to you as sure as the dawn. And when He comes, you will burst into life. I know, I know. No. You're thinking ahead, Oli, you didn't tell us the rest of your story. You know, I didn't finish my story. You know, I, I'm actually kind of shy. You know. But how did God restore my arid, dry soul so that I can pursue knowing God in and through His Word? First, I rested and slept a lot. You know, sometimes when you feel spiritually dry and depressed, the best thing you can do, as Christopher Ash tells us in his little book, Zeal Without Burnout, is just to rest. Resting is spiritual trust. I rested and trusted that God is God and I am not. I repented of my self-reliance. Secondly, I put myself in a place where I heard the gospel preached regularly. During my sabbatical, I was in three churches where the gospel was faithfully, clearly, and passionately preach. I needed to hear from God's word again and be reminded of the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though the first few times had minimal impact because of the state of where I was, I pressed on. Thirdly, I participated in communities, in, the ch in churches, where the gospel is applied and lived out. I desired to see real-life examples of the gospel-changing life. And God answered my prayers. Fourthly, I spent time in the Psalms and I read them aloud. Maybe because, you, you know, they say as you get older, you like to spend more time in the Psalms. Maybe I'm getting older. But I spent time reading the Psalms and I allowed the emotions of the Psalms to just wash over me, to, to let the Psalms shape my prayer and to plead, using them to plead to God. And lastly, I prayed. I pleaded that God will once again give me the trust and certainty that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes and that the gospel transforms lives. So, my friends, I'm here right now, still in ministry, not because of what I did, 
but because of the God of Hosea, who promises to restore His people, giving us a living knowledge of God, if we but hear, repent and return. He will bear our guilt and our wounds so that we can be healed to pursue the knowledge of God. Let us pray. Father God, we repent of our self-righteousness and our sins and we return to you once again in faith, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. Lord, we do want to know you in and through your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide. Teach us, O Lord, and draw us to yourself in a living, loving relationship so that we may truly know you, so that we may know the joy of your presence, so that as a church we may overflow with the joy of knowing God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Indeed, let us come to Jesus. Let us rise as we sing this song response. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore.